You're listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, where doctors, researchers, authors, nutritionists, and top health professionals share the latest news about staying well and living better. The information you hear today is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, but it's always timely, credible, interesting, and best of all, there's never a copay. Now, here's your host, health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome to the program. I am so glad you're here and you picked a good day to listen because for the first time, a panel of nutrition experts have stepped forward and are now recommending we eat a specific amount of a bioactive nutrient because it actually improves our health. Now, I know you've heard of the recommended minimum daily allowance, the RDA for vitamins, minerals and such. But as it says, these are the minimum recommendations, the small amount necessary to prevent deficiency or disease. This new suggestion is different. It says we should get more of Flavin 3-Alls into our diet because it improves a number of things, blood pressure, cholesterol, and blood sugar. A national panel of nutritional experts looked over a large number of studies and decided, yes, there is enough evidence that these flavin 3 ls make a difference that we should tell people to eat a specific amount every day. To learn more, I reached out to Whitney Linsenmeyer. She's a Ph.D. registered dietitian and a national spokesperson for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. I asked her what makes these plant-based nutrients so important, whether we have to eat a ton of weird foods to get them, and why, why shouldn't we take them in capsule form instead of foods that will deliver these bioactive compounds to our digestive system? So, so a lot of the uh, bioactives fall into the categories of what we call phytochemicals or zoo chemicals, basically compounds found in plants or in animal foods that we know are especially beneficial for health. So some of those that you might have heard of before that folks are fairly common with um, are things like uh, capsaicin, which is found in chili peppers, the isoflavones, isoflavones found in soy products, or here the flavonoids, which are found in citrus, red wine, and chocolate. So the flavonthriols that we're focusing on with this newer recommendation, this is a type of flavonoid. So one of those plant-based compounds. Um, it's the most commonly type, commonly, commonly consumed type of flavonoid. Um, and in terms of food sources, we see them most abundantly in tea, apples, pears, berries, and cocoa are some of the top food sources. The reason why we have this recommendation for flavonthriols in particular is really because of their beneficial impact for heart health. So we see that diets rich in flavonthriols help with blood pressure, cholesterol levels, and blood sugar levels. Great. How do they do that? What are they doing in my body that makes that difference? Yeah, so they perform a lot of different um, functions in the body um, related to the normal, the, the normal processes that regulate um, our blood pressure levels, our cholesterol levels, and uh, blood sugar. So helping to maintain those normal processes of our metabolism, um, where on the other side, diets high in um, things like added sugars and saturated fat tend to increase the risk for those diseases. So when I'm eating these products, these these fruits and vegetables contain these things, now you finally put a number on it to say, here's how much you should be getting each day. What is that number? 
the recommendation that was just published is 400 to 600 milligrams per day. I think it's important to note that in this paper too, this recommendation that came out, uh, they reported what is the average intake right now in you know the kind of the typical American diet, and it was about 220 milligrams per day. So, oh, so we want to 2x important... to 3x. Yeah, we, yeah, we're really talking about stepping it up. Yes, yes. And yet not like wildly, you know, different, like, you know, it's w within reach is how I interpret that personally. So when we think about how can we get there, how can we reach that 400 milligram per day level from food sources? Um, if we look at some of those top food sources, you could easily get there daily with one cup of green tea, one cup of blackberries, three squares of dark chocolate and five ounces of red wine. So just to give folks a sense for it's doable through food sources. And that's why this is a food based recommendation and not a recommendation to take a dietary supplement. Ding, ding, ding. My ears lit up when you said a glass of red wine, five ounces of red wine. That's that's kind of fun to hear. And dark chocolate, too. That's interesting. Yeah, so red wine and then the cocoa that, you know, is used to make dark chocolate are one of those richest sources. So that's a good point that we also want to be thinking about, you know, sometimes we are adding sugar to tea or, of course, there's sugar and like a bar of chocolate. So we want to think about the food as a whole, too, when we're considering how it fits into a healthy diet. So I have been, I, I asked you about this in a pre-interview, um, I've been adding an organic cocoa to coffee in the morning, believing that I'm doing myself a favor, getting some of those uh, Flavin 3 alls. It sounds like that's the real deal, is it? Yeah, so cocoa powder is one of those richest sources of the Flavin 3 alls. There also has a number of other health benefits with it too. It's a good source of iron and actually fiber too. So if you like it, if you like adding your cocoa powder to your coffee, I would feel good about that. Um, of course, there's also, you know, other ways to get cocoa powder in as well, other than adding it to your coffee, if that's not the form that you like it. Yeah, it's it's um, it's not like going to Starbucks and getting something like that. It's it, it's it's an acquired taste. But, you know, I'm doing it for a reason. So, OK, I get there. But you make an important point, And that is we're adding a food product and not a supplement. And and that is something that your organization was very clear about. Let's not start throwing a bunch of supplements at our diet with why? Why is that the case? Yeah. So there's a temptation to think, oh, I need to go get a supplement of these flap and three alls. We know they have all these health benefits. Now there's this number that I'm trying to reach. But there's a couple of reasons why this is truly meant to be a food-based recommendation. The first being that, like we just touched about, it's it's feasible to and fairly practical um, to consume enough Lab and 3Ls through food sources. I just listed a handful of here, mm -hmm. um, but there's many more food sources where we can find Lab and 3Ls and get those from our diets. Kind of the other major concern is that uh, supplements kind of pose their own risks um, similar to taking a medication. We know that um, high intakes of flavin 3 alls from supplement form can cause uh, GI distress. Things like, you know, stomach cramping or bloating um, can also be damaging to the liver when taken in very high quantities. So that's not a concern that we have when taking it in whole food forms. Um, it does become a concern when taking an isolated nutrient in high levels. Got it. And when you're eating the whole food, you're getting the fiber and all the microbiome benefits that that brings along, right? 
Yes. So when we eat those whole foods, again, there's all of those other phytochemicals and zoo chemicals in the food, more than just the flavanthriols, frankly. There's other great uh, plant and animal compounds out there um, that when we consume the whole food source, we're getting all of those benefits. Lots of things to expand on there. First, you heard registered dietitian Whitney Linsenmeyer suggest that green tea is a good way to get flavanthriols. That's great. It's another indication that green tea is kind of a superfood. I talked recently with a researcher who found there is reason to believe green tea extract can help block formation of the plaque that's often associated with Alzheimer's disease. Now, Linsenmeyer also suggested foods over supplements, and there's another good reason. Many supplements are made without tight controls and may contain heavy metals. I was careful to buy a brand of cocoa powder for my coffee that is organic and tested for lead and cadmium. This all raises another question. What about getting nutrients from powdered vegetables and other products you see advertised on TV? Well, we're going to get into that and why she says we shouldn't go overboard in choosing healthy foods for the kids. So there are some good reasons to stay tuned. But if you have to run, I get it. I hope you'll check us out on the podcast or watch the video version of the interview on the Health Call website, healthcall.live. But I hope you can stay tuned. We have a lot more to come right here on the Health Call Radio Hour on WoWo. listening to the Health Call Radio Hour, your regular weekend appointment with top healthcare professionals, where every session is painless and we never keep you waiting. Now back to health and wellness correspondent, Lee Kelso. Welcome back to our conversation about something new in the world of nutrition and your health. For the first time, a panel of experts has looked at all the research and now recommends all of us get four to 600 milligrams a day of a bioactive nutrient called flavanthriols. The Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics says the benefits on blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar, and cardiovascular disease all make it worth the effort to get these flavanthriols into our diet every day. And it turns out it's not that hard. You can get the recommended amount in one cup of green tea, a glass of red wine, eating apples, pears, berries, even dark chocolate. So not bad, huh? While talking with the registered dietitian Whitney Linsenmeyer, a spokesman for the Academy, we branched out a bit because I wanted to get her thoughts on the wave of powdered fruit and vegetable concentrates that are now being marketed. If you listen to podcasts, I'm sure you've heard the hosts promoting these products. I'm seeing that trend as well. I was just talking to my students here at St. Louis University. I always like to touch base with them to say, what are the current trends going on? Uh, they tell me about what's happening on TikTok. And that's exactly what they brought up. It's kind of the most popular thing right now. To me, when I look at that um, type of product, I'm seeing this as kind of a, a way to shortcut eating actual whole vegetables, like green leafy vegetables um, in sort of an easy and convenient and, um, you know, kind of a shortcut type of a, a form. But again, we know that there's so many benefits with eating the whole vegetables that we're not getting from a powdered version um, so my recommendation is to 
put that in the category of a fad diet. I think this is somewhat, something that's here and sort of in vogue right now. And I suspect that a year from now, we won't even be talking about it. So not necessarily anything wrong with these products, uh, but it's better to get the real foods. Do you, Are they effective? Did they deliver what they, what they promise? Has anybody taken a look at that? When we look at the kind of dietary supplements in general, and a lot of these like you know, types of products fall in that umbrella. Um, the concern is that a lot of them will boast what are called structure function claims. So these are vague claims. They might say things like support immune function or promote health and longevity, right? Like kind of very general. Uh, those types of claims, two things to know, they do not need to be true or provide any sort of science behind them in order to show up on those packages and they are not FDA regulated. Right. So that's why we see a lot of claims, a lot of promises, no evidence that they actually hold any weight. So from a nutritional standpoint, um, was just had this conversation with my wife the other day, we were talking about our grandkids and my wife and I eat a very healthy diet, have for years, um, but yet we still make pancakes for the grandkids, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, start them out with a bowl of cereal. Uh, that to me seems like we are programming our little kids and their taste buds to a pattern of eating that is putting them at risk for diabetes and all those cardiometabolic problems that we see. Um, is that anything that we ought to be aware of and do something about, or is it, eh, it's really not that big a deal? I'll be honestly, if I was you, I was I would not be sweating about having pancakes with my grandkids. I think that sounds like a wonderful tradition. And I think that's an important reminder that food is not just nutrients, right? It's not just like these um, vitamins and minerals and flavanthriols packed up into something that's on our plate. So much of food is social, you know, it's family traditions, it's fun, it's pleasure. And so um, I think that's an important part of a healthy eating pattern overall and a healthy relationship with food is enjoying foods that, you know what? Yeah, they're super low in flavanthriols. They don't have a lot of nutritional value, but they bring a lot of joy to, you know, a family tradition, for example. So that's part of just having a healthy relationship with food overall that we have room for, you know, those types of treats. Uh, okay, I like that. So let's not be food Nazis with the kids. That's a that's a good thing. Uh, what about uh, the other stuff that we're feeding our kids? Uh, chicken nuggets and fish sticks and that kind of stuff. Should we should we be concerned about that? So <clears throat> that's when we kind of get into the conversation of foods that are more highly processed versus mm -hmm. you know unprocessed or minimally processed. This is another major direction that I see you know, kind of nutrition science, our field moving in um, is recognizing that there is a big, a wide range here of the degree to which foods are processed. Um, and when we think about like, for example, a chicken nugget, that would be on the more, the highly processed range of the spectrum um, versus, you know, like chicken that's been cooked from fresh form, which is minimally processed. Um, and again, there's, there's room for all those foods in the diet. If your family like loves a chicken nugget, you know, have that once in a while for sure. We just want to focus mostly on the minimally or unprocessed foods. Makes sense. 
Uh, I love to ask people, experts like you, uh, how do you live differently? If I were to come to your house and look in your fridge, how might it look different than mine? I love that question. That's fun. I think you would notice that there's not a lot of food sitting right there that is ready to eat right away. Like we do a lot of cooking in our house. Part of that is we love cooking. Like that's part of our, our joy and our love language. Um, so you would see a lot of ingredients that we're going to use for dinner that night. Not a ton of stuff like packaged snacks or packaged foods that are ready to go. Okay. What about, do you have a concern about seed oils? I'm reading a lot in the, the kind of the health media um, about stepping away from corn oil, canola oil, those types of products, soy oil. Is that anything that, uh, is that just another fad or is it something we ought to pay attention to? So in terms of um, fats, I mean, we would put oils in the category of fats. We do recommend more of the um, unsaturated fats versus the saturated fats. And oil specifically would fall in that unsaturated category. But the concern kind of within oils is that we're consuming a lot of what are called the omega-6 fatty acids and not enough of the omega-3 fatty acids. Um, so I think the reason why those plant oils are getting a lot of attention right now is because they are, for two reasons, they're very rich in the omega-6 fatty acids. Um, and we also see them just used a lot in processed foods. If we think about like, you know, chips, a lot of times they might be like fried in, um, you know, a corn oil or a sunflower oil. Um, and so the concern is not that we're eating them. We, we, we need those omega-6s um, as part of a healthy diet. The concern is with the balance of the omega-6s and the omega-3s. So the omega-6s are thought to be more inflammatory is what I keep reading. And so yes. therefore you want to have that balance. Versus the omega-3s, which are very anti-inflammatory. And we see those omega-3s in different food sources, more like um, fatty fish. Um, and that's why... Honestly, there's just more like abundant omega-6s in our food supply than there are omega-3s. And I think that's part of why we have sort of this imbalance right now in many people's diets. There is plenty of research that agrees with Dr. Linsenmeyer that we are not getting enough omega-3s. If you have dry, scaly skin, sleep disturbances, mood swings, well, those may be signs that your body wants more omega-3s. Oily fish are a great source, of course, but so are walnuts, hemp seeds, egg yolks, and some other foods. What omega-3 and flavon 3 alls have in common is they fight inflammation. And of course, inflammation is linked with everything from diabetes to cancer to heart disease. So addressing that with food and lifestyle, it's worth the effort. And the good news is more of us are aware of that, making good choices at the supermarket. And with the Flavon 3 alls, a cup or two of green tea is all you need to reach the new recommended four to 600 milligrams per day. So that's an easy way to use food as medicine. I put links to the Academy's report on the Health Call Facebook page. It's also in the show notes for the podcast. And you can always watch a video version of our interviews on the Health Call website, healthcall.live. We've got a lot more to come, so I do hope you will stay tuned. Stay with us for the second half hour of the Health Call Radio Hour, right here on WoWo.
podcast by Federated Media.